Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. It is Wednesday. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Again, I always say that, but I'm not sure why. Because you're, it, this comes out on Wednesday, but you could listen any day you want to. It could be Saturday for all I know. Maybe you're going fishing. I hope you're going fishing. Anyways, I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want to check out that company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We're a retailer in the musky world, and if you're looking for gear for fall, whether it be suics or bulldogs or medusas or whale tails or whatever you want, cowgirls, double showgirls, triggers, you should all have a trigger. We have those two at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And my co-host today is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And Brad, why don't you talk about Musky Mayhem Tackle? Well, you can reach us at uh, muskymayhemtackle.com. We'd uh, love to see some pictures. If you guys caught fish on our products this year, send them to us right there on our website. You can check us out on Facebook as well as Instagram. We don't tweet. I know you do that, Jeff, but we don't. Um, So we're not on Twitter. But uh, we're the original big-bladed Flashaboo Bucktails, and we basically brought Flashaboo to the industry. So it's been kind of a wild ride. We're 15 years into it, and uh, I'd like to thank everybody for being a, a customer. I can't believe you don't tweet, Brad. It's so it's so awesome, exhilarating to tweet. I love it. Even our president tweets, so I, I don't know. I guess <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. I've never even looked at it. Mm. You're not missing that much, actually. Like, if you're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you're you're covered. You're good. <laughs> yeah, you can also check out my Instagram page, which is uh, Musky Mayhem Guide Service, if you uh, want to look at some dumb pictures that I post every once in a while. Yeah, Brad catches a couple fish, one or two a day. Yeah, a few. <laughs> a few here and there. Yeah. So. So speaking of it, how's fishing been lately? You know, we're kind of, uh, we've been talking about this and it seems like it's been in a lull and drug along here. We still have not turned over as of this podcast, but as we speak right now, we have 40 mile an hour gusts and the temperatures are cooling down. So if it didn't flop today, which I'm not out there today, obviously, um, it probably will in the next day or two. It's, uh, the bottom's falling out. I know we're going to talk a little bit about the weather trend here coming up with Todd. So I won't go that deep into it, but you know, we've, we've been catching fish, but I'll tell you what, there's been a lot of fish that have just been real sluggish and they follow in They're boat shy, they're fading away, but, uh, we've been able to capitalize every day that I've been out. Well, so Brad briefly touched on it, and Todd Schultz from Muskie Moon Guide Service is going to be our, our guest this week. So, Brad, let's talk a little bit about, before we get in with Todd, let's talk a little bit about uh, side imaging and pan optics, because we talked previously before we started recording about it a little bit, and I was like, hey, let's bring that up a little bit on the podcast, because there was a couple things I, I got to play with. So I went fishing on Thursday, and I was with uh, Jeff Vandermortel up in northern Wisconsin, he got a muskie. I got nothing. Pretty typical. Not much to talk about. I was actually looking forward to Friday more because Friday I took my boat up there and I haven't been in my own boat fishing since Labor Day. And I had gotten the Panoptics unit earlier this summer, but it took a little while before I got all the mounts and all this other stuff. And I've been busy and I haven't really had a chance to play with it. So I finally got a chance to play with the Panoptics deal um, on Friday. Now I tried, I mostly played with it because I was curious to know the trolling aspect of it. So I wanted to see, you know, how deep my baits were running and things like that. And I have to tell you, it works really good for that. It's not as easy as you'd like to think about, you know, as much as much as you'd like to think how, you know, you're like, oh, I should be able to see that in the water really easily. It's a little more difficult than that, but you can definitely see your baits running. A couple things I noticed, and Brad, you can jump in here when I, after, after I talk about it, is when you're trolling, a lot of the baits that you run have dive curves that are actually quite a bit steeper than you may anticipate for the first, like say 15 feet that you let the line out. So I know Brad, you talk about running your baits high often. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming for a lot of new trollers, like if you run a bait 15, 20 feet back in a lot of cases, you're going to be pretty, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, for sure. You know, the one thing that maybe differs a little bit is using boards and, there's multiple different ways of running boards. Myself, I use a mass system, which allows me to put those baits exactly where I want them in the water column. So it's a little easier to keep them shallower. 
by by using the mass system versus just putting them behind the boat as a as a down rod if you will so i mean that's one thing that i guess you can think about you know one thing herbie talked to me about one time a long time ago and i think i shared this with you jeff but basically doubling your line so say 20 30 feet of line doubled up to where you tie to your leader just that little extra piece of line on there is definitely going to make a change in the depth curve of that bait i know that sounds goofy but think about the resistance and the drag that the water is causing it's going to keep more lift in that bait so 100 pound test is going to have more drag versus 80 pound versus 50 so think about that as well and that will definitely make some changes what you're talking about with your pan optics and watching some of that it's it's incredible what you can learn from that that's for sure yeah like the other thing too i noticed is i was mostly trolling in that three the 3.5 range and it like if you're s curving i you know for me it didn't really matter i didn't have i didn't i, I was slowing and speeding one rod because i'm only allowed one, one rod up in northern wisconsin with just me and the boat like even just a difference from like point three you know like 3.2 to 3.5 you can watch your bait drop down you know an extra foot same thing if you're you know if you slow up you know by from 3.5 to 3.2 you can watch it rise up by an extra foot so like those types of things are definitely like subtle differences so obviously if you're running two lines if you had you and your buddy you know when one's swinging out one's going to drop a little deeper the other one's going to pull up a little bit higher it's just um like little subtleties that you can that you can see by by using your pan optics and I think, Brad, the one thing we can both agree on, though, is if I had to pick side imaging or panoptics with as much as you hear about with the new Garmin systems, I would still pick side imaging like every uh, every day of the week over panoptics, in my opinion. Oh, hands down, Jeff. I, I don't think there is another fishing tool that's been created that is, <laughs> it's the most important tool you can have in your boat side imaging you could throw away a map card before you threw away side imaging so definitely something that uh has it's changed the whole world of fishing in my opinion so you know along with that i've been running the 360 now jeff and you know the neat thing about that is that i'm able as we're casting down a weed line i can pinpoint some of these fish out previous to us going by them where you'd see them with side imaging so that's another unique tool that we really haven't discussed much this year, but at some point I think we need to. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, we'll have plenty of time this winter to talk about all the ins and outs of it. I was finally happy that I got to play around with it. Like I said, briefly playing with it. The one thing I will tell you that there's just too, like sometimes there's just too much junk in your boat between looking at the side imaging, looking at your pan optics, the pan optics transducer. I had some guy on shore that was looking at me cause I had a camera mount up my panoptics transducer in the water, my trolling rod. I think he was like, what are you doing out there in the water? Like he was trying to talk to me, but it was windy as heck. And I had my hood up. I tried to, you know, he, he was like, he was kind of like, what are you doing here? You know? And I don't know if he thought I was trolling with an extra rod. Cause you, you know, on the panoptics mount that I have, it's uh tracks tech mount. You set it in there and you can literally spin the, the transducer to look at whatever you wanted to look at. In this case, I was running one bait. So I literally had the transducer pointed at the one bait, but Sometimes I think, Brad, sometimes we have technology overkill in our boats on occasion. Well, I can't disagree with that, Jeff. And one of the things that I, I do know with panoptics is that you definitely have to steer that panoptics to whatever you want to look at. Um, with only, a, I, I can't remember, I believe it's a 17 or an 18 degree cone and it's 120 the opposite direction. So, you know, it's it's a narrow band. So you're definitely going to be steering with that. And I know some sucker guys are using them, watching their suckers now, and they can see a muskie come up to the sucker, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, if you don't want to dedicate your eyes to a screen, it's kind of a hard, uh, hard justification in my mind. Yeah, I would agree. Like, that's the one thing about it. It doesn't have any of that history that you get on on your side imaging, you know, or, or you're just your traditional sonar. So if you're not, if you're literally not watching it when it happens, you're not going to see it. And so that was, I don't know, a little bit different. It'll get taken. It's, it's a tool. I think when used properly, it'll be a good tool, but if you're a new angler and you're like, okay, I have money to spend on one of these two things. If you don't select the side imaging, in my opinion, you're making a mistake. Now, granted, that's just my opinion, but 
after playing around with it, I feel like that is, that's the more solid technology. That one will absolutely help you catch more muskies. The panoptics can help you catch a few extra ones, but I don't feel it's as important in my opinion. I would agree with that 100%. And in my opinion, the Humminbird SI Mega is the number one tool in electronics for fishing today. Couldn't agree more. So, Brad, unless you uh, you got anything else to add to this intro? I don't think so. Let's uh, let's get Todd on the horn. Yeah, let's do that. I know guys they want they want they don't always want to just listen to you and I talk. I mean, I know we bring something to the table once in a while, but they want that extra other that more expert opinion than what you and I have. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right, our guest this week is Todd Schultz, Muskie Moon Guide Service. Last you heard of Todd was episode four. I don't know how many of you guys listened to episode four. It was a long time ago, and I've been super afraid to listen to any of those earlier episodes because I'm, I'm kind of worried about how the quality of them. I don't really want to know. Those are like you know stuff in the past. We're just moving on. I think that I'd like to think maybe we've gotten better, more I don't know, like together things flow better possibly. I don't know. I'd like to think that we got a little bit better, but anyways, Todd, I know that you're busy. I know Brad's busy. I'm not, I got nothing else to do except talk on the phone, but anyways, uh, (laughs) how are you doing today? And, um, let's get into, let's just talk about kind of current conditions on the water and then we'll probably talk about how the season's going. And obviously it's fall time. We'll talk about a little bit of fall musky, but let's, uh, let's, uh, start with how are things going in your world this day? Uh, it's it's not busy is an understatement, but everything's going good. Um, as season as a whole up until this point has been uh, phenomenal. Uh, quite a few muskies, uh, some decent muskies caught, and um, now you know some of the lakes that uh, I fish on quite a bit. You know, I have turned some of them have turned over. Some I'm thinking here within the next uh, today, tomorrow, sometime this week with the, the high winds. Uh, it was pretty close, so I think a lot of them will be flipping. So um, this coming later this week, I'll be concentrating more on the rivers for a little bit, and then I'll be jumping back and forth. Yeah, I would say, you know, we're kind of in the same boat over here in northern, western Minnesota. Um, you know, it's been crazy. I kept thinking, man, we're going to lose a bunch of water temp, you know, and we've talked about it the last weeks on the podcast. But surprisingly enough our weather kind of held and we've had tons of big wind like you're talking about as well then we have a calm day mixed in every three to four or five days but uh right as an example as we record right now it's 25 to 30 constant with 40 mile an hour gust so we're sitting right around 56 degrees 58 degrees three four days ago I'm going to assume that the bottom has kind of dropped out a little bit and I'm going to say that she's going to start flopping the day. So that's kind of where we're at on my local water anyway. And if you talk to the guys up North and I know, you know, you being in the North woods of Wisconsin, Todd, and talking to Jeff previous to recording this, you guys are a lot cooler water temps than we are over here, honestly, but 54 is the norm for us to really start turning. Sure, sure. Well, we'll see if that stays like that after next week, Brad. I think we looked at the long-range forecast, and it looked like you're talking snow. Ours isn't as bad as what yours is, but it's still not great. But, I mean, everything's going to be turned over here, I'm assuming, probably by the time we record again next week, which for anybody that's listening, today is the 13th. It's uh, Tuesday, and this podcast comes out tomorrow. The only reason we're getting this one done is because Mother Nature actually shut Brad down from fishing today with the 30 to 40 mile an hour wind, so we were able to fit this one in. Otherwise, I don't know. We were going to either have to come up with something at 10 o'clock tonight, or I don't know how this was going to work, Brad. We're really, really, really not good at planning things these days. <laughs> well, we're, we're pushing the envelope, like always, but you know what, Jeff? Uh, we always manage to squeak it by somehow. Yeah, this has just been, it's been like weeks of wind. And looking at the 10-day, we've got two or three nights that are going to be in the 26-degree range. So that's really going to cool things off quickly. Yeah, I don't know if we have quite that going on in the Northwoods up here. Todd, how about you? How, how about about you? Is that, you got any of that, that cold? Uh, we're looking, as I'm looking into uh, later in the week here, 
Yeah, it looks like highs of 41, lows in the uh, around 30, 31. And I actually just seen they're talking a uh, chance of rain or snow turning over to rain on Saturday. Super fun times, right? I, I try to just look positive. I usually say that's usually when someone's going to pop a big queen, is in that worst weather conditions like that in the fall. That's usually when it happens. Well, the, like I always say, you can't catch them from the couch. So, yep, you know, exactly. <laughs> you deal with whatever we get handed. So, honestly, you know, everybody's like, well, it's supposed to be this next Tuesday or it's supposed to be this Saturday. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. You know, you hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and you go fishing. That's the way it is. Exactly. You just you said you said a mouthful right there, Brad. I mean, we have, and I know you're in the same boat. You have people that book trips, you know, with uh, either you or I and other, you know, many other guys, you know, it might be a year in advance and we don't know what that weather's going to be. We don't know what, what's going to happen. So we just have to make the best of it and uh, take all of our knowledge and skills and hope for some luck and see what happens. Hands down. You know, it's not something new. We've all dealt with this kind of stuff before. I will say, you know, right. the fish over here have been in a little bit of a funk. Um, it, it's it was crazy. We we cooled down rapidly this year, and the fish were in a funk. But I'll tell you what, you know, you put your time in. You were we were still squeezing out a few here and there. So better coming in October. Um, I'm just yep. hoping that the wind mellows out a little bit and we get kind of into a, a normal fall pattern. Yes, yes, I agree. Well, sadly, in the past couple of years, Brad, our season will be done in like three weeks. I mean, that's about how this has worked out lately. I mean, I'd say early November, we're done. I mean, sadly enough, by the time this one comes out tomorrow, I mean, we're almost halfway through October. Yeah, th that's pretty true. But, uh, you know, we go till December 1st. And the last couple seasons, you're right, Jeff. Um, we've, I think last year, did we end up two weeks before we hit the 1st of December? Something like that. We had to shut it down. I mean, we'll break ice until we can't break ice anymore, right? And that's uh, that's a part of it. Yeah, well, and I think if you remember right, we had nicer weather, I think, in December than we did in early part of November. Yeah. Late November, it got better. I mean, I know some of the guys were iced up on some of the rivers up north. Most of the lakes were, they were locked up anyways. But then guys were able to get out on the rivers because everything opened up again in December. And I think... Well, up by you, up by you, uh, Todd. Last year, it closed at the end of November. And I think this year now doesn't yep. everything up there run till the end of December. I think. Uh, I don't. I'm that I'm not sure. I thought it was still about the thirtieth. Yet, yet of November was the last day. I thought they changed that for this season. I could double check it, but I could have sworn that they moved all the all the the entire season in Wisconsin. Now I think closes on uh, December thirty first, which. But they also think there's a provision in there. You can't target them if it's if there's ice on the water, something like that. Sure. Gotcha. Okay. If there's ice on the water, what do you mean by that, Joe? Well, if things are frozen, I guess you can't target muskies. If, if the lake is capped, right? Yes. Yep. But, I mean, if there's ice along the shoreline and you get your boat out, you're you're still good. Yeah, then you're fine. I think, maybe, I think they don't want guys setting tip-ups for muskies. I think that's the idea behind it. Sure. Makes sense. Okay. I, I, I was unaware of that law. That's interesting. Maybe I'm making stuff up too. I don't know, but I think that's what I heard. So Todd, what are you doing right now? I mean, what's, uh, what do you, you know, you're, you're talking about turnover before we started recording, you know, and you said that you're going to slip into the river fishing a little bit more during that whole turnover period. But, uh, what's your go-to right now? As far as lures or presentation, Give it um, up to me. right now, it's going to be live bait is, is a must, in my book. And that's my opinion. Um, one, it's a big tradition, uh, as we all know, to uh, float suckers in the fall. So besides that, right now, um, honestly, some of our number one go-to lures are uh, suix, your jerk baits, you know, from 10, 12, and the Franken suix been producing uh, bulldogs. And uh, believe it or not, uh, even on the river, 
two weeks ago, uh, we were, we were popping fish on shallow swim dogs, um, just slow rolling them. But, uh, now that I'm going to transition into the river for a little bit of time here, um, the big thing I'm going to target is mm-hmm. over years of fishing, uh, certain parts of the Wisconsin river up here, we have that musky migration that we've all talked about and, and come to know. And it took on one of these flowages took me many years to figure out what was all going on because it was such a moody flowage. It's not high numbers. Uh, you got a chance for big fish. And uh, I went in and we started moving and popping fish through the years. And once this water temp now is starting to drop like a river the other day, we were at 53 degrees on the Wisconsin River, which is it's pretty pretty normal for right now for especially for the ambient temperatures we've had in these cold fronts but uh they're they're so so tight right now the shore they get any tighter you would be casting on shore to catch muskies it, it's crazy but they're starting to move into those into that migration pattern so um, we're finding a lot of these fish are starting finally starting to move out of that basin area of that flowage and staging up river uh, throughout this uh, that stretch that fish there is probably six and a half miles long um, they're starting to stack up and stage and the food is showing up now so once once that bite on the river turns on it's really hard to leave because uh, we have a chance at a at a river giant which you know not we don't have too many of those out up here and also um, that's pretty much where I'm at right now. Um, yeah, as far as our presentation, this is the earliest I've ever floated suckers in the fall in all my years of musky fishing. It was the week after Labor Day. We had a cold front come through. Started uh, started out with some 8 to 10 inch suckers, and now we're already moving up to that 14 to 16s. And it's uh, 50-50 well, of the fish that's been boated in the last few weeks here. It's either on live bait or it's on lures. Uh, this last weekend, we had a ton of fish up uh, looking at suckers, but we caught all the fish we caught were all on lures. Well, when you said that those fish are that close to shore, it reminded me of the saying that uh, a good friend of mine always used to say, and he would talk about those transition of the fish when they start going really ultra shallow, and he'd always tell me, the dew on the grass is the only out of bounds. Yep. Yes, it's that, yes, exactly. I found it here. It is musky season in the northern zone is May 23rd to December 31st on open water only. That's what it says. Okay. So looks like if you want, uh, Todd, you'll be able to get yourself an extra month out of it on that river as long as the river's open, which I would imagine for a lot right. of it, it probably would unless it gets really, really cold. Yeah, the last two years, I was focusing on the river because our lakes locked up, and then I ended up canceling trips because I couldn't break ice anymore. And then winterized the bull, put it away, got into hunting mode, and yep, got a little warm spell. River opened up, and I'm like, oh. so yeah, that'll be that'll be good. I'll wait to winterize the boat now until the end of December. That was always like the thing for me. And then at that point, we always have snow all over the place and salt. And I'm like, oh, great. Now I got to take my boat and cruise around with that. So that kind of sucks. Yeah, exactly. When you talk about suckers up there, Todd, one thing that's talked about pretty often is uh, like a sucker shortage. You guys got any issues getting suckers up there? No. Um, that's I was worried about that uh, last year. I mean, it, we made it work. Um, so far... Uh, the bait shops and everybody I've talked to, everybody's uh, has got a very fair, it's a good supply of suckers right now. And I'm very picky, and I, I and it's just my personal preference. I I tend to, if I'm going to go buy a sucker, I want it to be the darkest, wildest sucker you can get. I've had so many years through the years where we could only get a uh, certain, you know, like a farm race sucker, they do well, but I had problems where they, they don't last as long and they're not as wild. And uh, so I get, you know, everybody up here, 
that I know of, and especially where I'm getting my suckers, they're they're wild and they're as wild as can be. So let's talk about suckers for a second. I had a, somebody uh, sent me an email. I didn't reply to him yet. I've been busy. I quick I quick glanced at it. There was there was talk about sucker placement. So when you're running a sucker, I'm assuming you're running two. Is that right? Yes, correct. Do you typically run them both on bobbers? No. So I'm a, I don't know. Some people do the same thing. Some people don't. Um, I've had the most success. So I will choose, say, I'll choose, try to choose one side of the boat that we're going to cast from all day. If possible. That sucker I'll call that, I call that my inside rig. <clears throat> so what'll happen is I'll start out during the early season here. That sucker is no more than 16, 18 inches below the surface. That's it. All the way up. Once I start that water temp is starting to drop. Now I'm starting to lower them down just a touch. That inside rig is never deeper than five feet ever. And then the second rig, which I call my seek and destroy sucker, will be on a giant slip bobber. That one will be back about 20 to 25 feet behind the boat and down no more than 10 feet. Okay. That's what, that's kind of what I was getting at. The question somebody had for me was um, basically that, that kind of deal. Like if you're running the suckers, like what type of, what type of heights do you do? And when I was running multiple, multiple suckers, that's what I would do. I was always stagger the heights, you know. <clears throat> You got the one there that's cover, right. covering that five foot range, like you said, and you got the other one that's covering about that 10 foot range. Obviously, if I was right. in, you know, whatever, a little deeper water, those numbers would change a little bit, but not a lot. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think one of the things that, that uh, people really get confused about is depth. And, you know, for a muskie to, you know, they'll basically just give a little tail flicker and 20 feet is nothing for them to move. So if you're in 20 feet of water and your bait's only two feet down, that's one tail kick. It's done. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll get there. Um, and one right. way to kind of gain maybe a little understanding of what 20 feet is, if you're in a 20-foot boat, look from bow to your motor. That's 20 feet. <laughs> it's not right. very far. Think about it that way. Yeah, even my fat butt can get from the front to the back pretty quick, and I'm not even a muskie. <laughs> Oh, that's where you were going with that, right, Brad? That's where the story was going to end up. Well, I, wa- I wasn't going to talk about your fat butt, but I, <laughs> I, no, I mean honestly, if you think about it, I, one of the things and the misconceptions is, well, the fish isn't going to see it, or the fish isn't going to be able to get there in time. These fish are so fast; people don't realize how fast they are, and how fast they can change depth. You know where they are in the water, up and down, back and forth. They're, they're amazing creatures, and it doesn't take much for them to move. I mean, think about in a figure eight how fast that fish is cruising in around the bait. So right. just keep that in mind. And if you have good water clarity, these fish are so aware of their surroundings, they know what's going on all the time. And uh, I think I'm just trying to throw something out there, you know? Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I mean, there's no doubt about it. If yeah, you, you ever want to know how... Agree. If you ever want to know how fast a muskie will swim, snag one in the tail. You'll see how fast they can go. It is ridiculous. <laughs> I was in Todd's neck of the woods fishing the river up there. I snagged one in the tail. I couldn't even like I couldn't even reel up to it fast enough. I had to literally go chase it down with my boat because that's how fast. Like it it was down it was down a hundred I don't know maybe a hundred yards or hundred feet. It was downstream so dang quick it was unbelievable. So they can they can definitely maneuver and move fast oh yeah if your drag would have been tight you probably would have went to your knees jeff probably i think actually my drag was tight but usually when i usually when i got a fish on i i thumb the spool so it probably burnt through my glove though i bet you during that time of year it was it was ridiculous the one thing i will say though brad is when the muskies don't want to move they will not move i don't care how fast they can move they they won't they just won't do it yep yeah hands down there's times when no matter what you do, I, I remember a time as a youth and, uh, you know, my dad's dream was to catch a muskie and I can't remember if we were on Eagle Lake or if we were on somewhere in Canada, but you could see down, you know, say 20 feet and, and I could see this muskie sitting there and we 
everything that we had in the boat at it. And it never did move. We finally gave up and went away. <laughs> yep. Yep. I will say that's a, that's a fact. Well, I mean, let's let's talk about that for a minute, Brad. So then, and, and Todd, both of you, if um, you think, let's just say casting-wise, I mean, I'm assuming if an active fish is, you know, if he's out and about, he'll come up no problem and hit whatever, whatever, you know, let's just say you're in 20 feet of water. You're working two, three, four feet down. I have a feeling they'll have no problems coming up to get that. Is that right? I changed my whole game plan based off of what you just said there, Jeff. Promoting um, the month of June, times when I was keeping my baits maybe at 15 feet or I was trying to maybe push it to 17 feet. And I don't like to put my baits any lower than that, 15. But anymore, I'm running my baits just under the surface. Max, max depth is 10 foot. And the reason I'm doing that is they know the bait's there. It's not a problem. And if they want it, they're going to come get it. Now, there are times when those fish are being more stagnant and you have to go search for them, correct? So, you know, you put something in, the, in a fish's face, it's going to change their attitude slightly. So think about that in the casting realm as well. Um, I can tell you the month of October, I'm not a sucker guy. So I'm going to throw a bunch of rubber. And up until the last couple of days, we we're still catching fish on blades, honestly. We basically... The month of October, after turnover, I'm going to go a few different glide baits, which I'm not a big glide bait guy, but there's times when that can be effective, just hanging it in their face, at least locating fish. Number two, I'm going to throw rubber, and that might be a Medusa, might be a, uh, a Bulldog. But uh, if they're not eating rubber and chasing rubber, get some wood out there. Start throwing your jerk baits. And I will tell you, different patterns over the years, I think we talked about it briefly last week with Hammernick. One day it's going to be wood, two days it's rubber, and then they quit eating the rubber, you go back to wood, and it, it definitely is going to put more fish in your boat. So mixing that up, if you're a weekend guy and you're going to a body of water this month, I would definitely have one guy throwing wood, one guy throwing rubber, and let the fish tell you which one they'd prefer. And uh, just something to add to that, uh, Brad and Jeff, is this is the time of year you know, I, I'm a, I'm a very, I like to pick my spots out, spots apart all, all season long. I'm not a big run and gun. There's a time for running and gunning. Uh, absolutely. Especially during the, the hot bite of your, your mid and late summer into early fall. I, the, the biggest thing, you know, I get, I get people that'll talk to me at boat landings, uh, out, out on the water. Uh, I'll get messages, emails, asking, hey, you know, I'm struggling, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is what I'm throwing. I can't move fish. And I'll tell them, you're in the right areas. you got to spend a little bit more time. You know, I will take, uh, say if it's, if it's a, um, you know, a nice, a nice, beautiful shoreline. It's got mixed with some wood, some weeds. I won't just pass through to one pass. I will turn around and pick it apart again on a different angle. And I've, and I've shown clients and, and friends, people in my boat that are just amazing. Like we just casted there 20 minutes ago and now there's a fish. I'm like, well, that fish more than likely was still there. Now we're presenting that at a different, our lure at a different angle, you know, giving it a different shot. And I just, the biggest thing is to slow down. And if you have five of your go-to spots, Especially once we start getting in the water temps in them upper 40s and, and you know, falling to the mid 40s, I'll take my five go to spots and through historically knowing the body of the water that I fish and guide on religiously, I will cut that down to three. And that's it. Because I know, you know, and now with us being blessed with uh, side imaging and, and 360 imaging. That even just helps us, but I know I have to cut that down and pick and spend more time picking up areas apart. And uh, the success rate by doing that it goes up. Sure, I mean big time. Well, let's talk a little bit about go-to spots, specifically in river applications. I know 
we have guys that want us to talk more about rivers and we have a lot of guys that fish lakes. So we have, we don't have the opportunity to talk rivers as much. What type of spots are you looking sure. for in the fall river wise for guys that are looking to get out and chase, chase muskies on the, on a, in the fall, what on a river, what do you, what's the plan there? Go to current breaks wood for sure. Cause that's still going to hold heat. Um, like on part of the river that I fish up here, it's got very, very steep, shorelines and i mean you could be i'm not exaggerating there's some there's i shouldn't say some there's most spots we could be 10 feet from shore and we're 15 feet of water so being want to be as precise as you can to get up tight the shore and it looks weird unless you know that that stretch of river you're thinking why is that guy casting in you know one to two feet of water that lures in a foot and a half of water. It comes out about four feet. You're already you're already dropped to eight, nine feet of water, and that's where we see majority of them fish. Even that side imaging, majority of them fish are on their very, very first uh, break line before it drops off to the channel. Uh, wood is huge. Uh, wood, and if you have an area with uh, rocks and wood, like we have on a section of river up here. Um, it's, it's dynamite. It holds bait fish. Uh, it holds muskies and bait fish all the way up the ice up. I mean, it's it's just a constant circle all day going through this area, and uh, that's that's what I target. You know, your eddies obviously you get out of that current, and uh, the fish are less likely to spend their energy wanting to chase. In my opinion, they're going to need rest to get out of that and look for that easy meal that's coming down river. And, uh, there's so many times, uh, Brian Schaefer and I were out last fall together and, uh, he got one off a rock pile and, uh, the, the next fish I ended up getting, it was just coming out of the river channel and we came up in this big slack water eddy area. And as soon as that sucker came out of that river channel, that fish was laying right there and ate. So that's, that's, that's pretty much the area that I'm going to target when I'm out on the river. Let's talk, um, high water so far this year. I'm assuming you haven't had to deal with a lot of high water. Is that right? Right. Correct. And let's say, you know, what do you look, what changes when you're looking for, uh, when you, I mean, cause inevitably it seems like we get a lot of rain in October at some point, it seems like those river levels come up, but those river guys are still catching muskies. Do those, uh, right. are you pushing more into like even, are you pushing even tighter to the banks yet when the water yeah. gets high? Yes. And that, and that brings up a, a perfect, perfect example was, uh, last year during my, uh, fall warrior trip, we had a bunch of rain for like two weeks in a row and we, we hold the trip on the river. All we could do. Nobody could, we didn't do any casting, hardly any casting. I think one boat trolled for a little bit, but we were dragging suckers and you had to get out of that, out of that uh, strong current of the river channel. And basically you were dragging suckers five feet off the shore because of that. You know, it was, it's a shallow and we, we were getting fish. You know, that's where they were. They were out of that heavy current, but it caught our, our chances down in half because we were unable to cast as well. But that's where them fish, when it's high water, those fish, and that's, that goes through even mid season, early season, those fish will climb super shallow, super shallow. Hey Todd, how, how much current are you dealing with up there in that area? I've fished the Wisconsin river, but not, not that far North where you are. Right now, like Jeff said, I mean, we, I think I can count probably three weeks out of the entire season where I dealt with high water and it was, it, it came to our, it was in our favor because, you know, I knew that muskies were going to be super tight, um, the shore and along wood. But when we get into this time of year right now, I mean, that current is, it, it, you have current, there's always current there. Um, they're, you know, they're starting to lower some of the flowages uh, for winter here. Um, we were just out there on Sunday, and, I mean, it, we had no problem. I mean, where sucker control at times can really be a problem, dragging live bait and uh, high currents. 
in heavy current uh, situations. Right now, it's—I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's pretty average, pretty normal. I guess what I was looking for, Todd, is are you dealing with like a half a mile an hour, or is it like three to five miles an hour? And I know I, mean, what, I would say with definitely, definitely about that half to maybe a mile an hour. Okay, so when you, when you get a bunch of rain or whatever, it it probably obviously it's up in pace. Yep. But I'm I'm just trying to relate to how fast it's actually moving. Yep, uh, definitely. I would say about a mile an hour tops. And we get if we get a bunch of rain, yeah. I mean, we've seen it so so you know so bad enough where it was unfishable. You know, to be especially in the fall where I. You know where I'm unable when I'm when I'm dragging live bait behind us, it, it, it's impossible. So that that's when I say, okay, now it's forcing me back to a lake and get off the river in the fall. Summer, a little different story. I can I can deal with that. There's a lot of river. <laughs> there's a lot of river to touch, so we can find our areas that you know hold fish, obviously, and and take them apart and see what happens. Well, wow, that's the one thing about that area that you live in over there, Todd. I mean, there's almost endless water between all those, you know, between, I mean, just use Lake Wausau, Lake Dubay, all the backwaters, all the river sections. I mean, all the way down, going all the way up. I mean, lakes, whatever. Right. Quite honestly, if I was ever going to move the Wausau area, I think that's about where you're in, right? Is that is that right? Yeah, I'm just north up in uh, Merrill. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that area would be the one I'd be living in because... For Wisconsin, there's just so much opportunity for different places to fish. It's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too about that is up by you. You know, if you're if the wind is blowing too hard, you just go find a river. You don't have to worry about it as much. It's unlike yeah over by Brad, where he's got all these big expanses of water. It's not as easy on a day like today. Brad's going to find himself in the shop, which I'm sure Carrie loves. Well, I don't know if she loves it, but, you know, if I'm in there for six hours or more, she's probably wishing I was fishing. Yeah, I know, but it, for those first six hours, she's probably happy that she's actually getting some help. It's more like the first six minutes, Jeff. <laughs> Anybody that's been here. Speaking of Carrie, we haven't talked about her recently. What's her story? Where is she? Like, I haven't given her a hard time. I haven't hardly talked to her. You can't tell me that she's this busy. She's got to be in a tree stand somewhere, huh? You know, she has not spent a day in a tree stand yet. But uh, come Thursday, she's going to start hunting. So she did her a little elk trip, which was unsuccessful, not because she didn't see any elk, but she ranged and misjudged and shot over a nice six-by-six bull. So that was a heartbreaker in more ways than one. I was looking forward to filling the freezer. But... uh, Anyway, that she had a great hunt. It was a lot of fun, but uh, no, she isn't really hasn't been out doing much hunting yet. You know, we've had these little warm ups, and it's just kind of tough when it's sixty some degrees to go sit in a bow stand. But it's not an excuse. It's time to start getting out there. That's for sure. Well, you have to tell her that. I'm sure her fan club misses her because it's been I I can't even remember the last time we recorded an episode with her. Yeah, I thought she was going to join us today, actually, but she had some phone call that she was going to be in, and this was really short notice. I think we put this together in five, ten minutes, so. Yeah. I told you that our our, uh, abilities to plan is pretty much terrible right now. Well, we kind of planned this. I mean, we knew we were going to talk to Todd, but we were going to try to record it yesterday, and it didn't work out in Todd's schedule, and hey. Todd called us and said, let's do it. And bam, here we are. I know what I, I guess what I mean by that is like, there was a couple stretches where we have things planned out where things are rolling pretty good. You know, we got it all figured out. And now we're like, Hey, uh, we got to put a podcast out on Wednesday. If this thing doesn't go absolutely flawless right now, we're pretty much screwed for Wednesday. So if uh, <laughs> I'm going to apologize in advance, if we ever miss a week, that's not ever our intention. <laughs> Yeah, good point. I mean, and that's probably a good good apology the way things have been going. But you know, as we come out of the fishing season, I think it'll get a little bit easier, Jeff. Oh yeah, last year when it, when once we got to like November, December, all the way up until we started, you know, fishing again, it it was fine. Yeah, it's not a problem at all. I mean, 
we have a lot more time to plan, even a lot more time for availability for guests. I mean, half of our guests are fishing guides and most of them aren't on the ice. So they have a lot more availability. It's definitely easier to podcast and get everything together when we're not so busy. It's, it's, it's coming though, Brad, I can see it. Like we're on the, we're on the downward slide already. Yeah. Hands down. It's coming quick. It's uh, pretty amazing when, well, you guys get darker than I do earlier. I should say you get darker earlier than I do, but you know, quarter after seven, it the sun's gone over here. So I don't know. We've, we've done some night fishing. We actually have had some success doing the night thing, but, uh, this time of the year, it's just kind of like, it's nice. You know, you can, you can get out and you can get off the water and actually see your family when you get off the water. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know it's kind of coming to that time of the year. One of those things I, I want to try is fall night trolling on like Cisco Tulabi type lakes. I'm sure that's maybe something you do, Brad. Is that right? That is correct. You should uh, just jump in your truck and get over here. Yeah, I'm not like your little buddies, the Baddicks, that listen to this podcast. I'm not like them. I'm not making a 12-hour drive to come over and fish with you for a weekend. <laughs> Man, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, that's a, I believe it was an 11-hour drive for them, and they shot up here. Let me think. What they did is they worked a full day Thursday. They went home and tried to nap, got up to plan to try to be on the water at sunrise, Fished all day Friday on a few hours of sleep, both of them. And then I kept them up till four in the morning. So that was good. Shocker. We, we went out Saturday. We fished hard all day Saturday until about eight thirty nine o'clock at night. We put two fish in the boat and we came back and stayed up till four in the morning. They got up <laughs> and headed out about seven, seven thirty on Sunday. Fished till I think 11 and hit the road and drove home and got home at midnight, one o'clock. Hmm. So those guys are they, dedicated. Uh, They're dedicated. I'm going to give them that. Hey, you know what? It's really cool. They, they're great guys. Um, we had them on man early in this whole podcast career as well. Seven. I, don't I remember think. number seven. I think okay. so. So it was probably June of a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. but they're fishing fools, you know, and, and, um, I give them all the credit in the world. They're young. I, it reminds me of some of the dumb stuff I used to do. So I don't know. It's a good thing. They're, they're hungry to catch fish and they're willing to travel to do it. Yep. I remember it. I remember it. Well, a guy, I actually, I had a conversation with Jeff and Remortal not that long ago about that stuff. I used to drive up to Northern Wisconsin on a Saturday morning. I'd get up at whatever, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, be up there, uh, five, six, seven, whatever it was. We'd fish all day, literally all day. I didn't have a place to stay up there. I was, I don't know, too stupid to get a place to stay or I wanted to come home and see my wife for a couple hours. And then, so I would drive all the way back home. And then on Sunday I would get up and sometimes I would go right back up to Northern Wisconsin again and fish all day. And then, you know, Sunday I would come home, go to work on Monday. Cause at that point in time, I think I had a regular boss. I think I'm not positive, but I think I did. I probably had to be somewhere at some point on Monday and so I did that for quite a bit. I knew I wasn't making I wasn't making twelve hour drives like those guys are. They they take it to a whole new level. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of Billy Beekner. I mean, there's another one. I back in the day, and it wasn't that long ago. Say fifteen years ago, he was over here in Minnesota every weekend for Madison. I mean, think about that. And there was times I think we fished like forty two hours straight one time. And it kind of got down to the crunch time where he's like, Hey, I got to go because I have to be at work tomorrow morning, which was Monday morning. And he would make it three quarters of the way and take an hour nap and then try to go right to work. And I mean, so those guys are out there. I, me, myself, I mean, I, I would go to say Malax, which is about two hours for me. And instead of driving home, like you're talking about, I would sleep at the access and I would sleep in my boat. So nothing in the boat could get stolen. But, uh, so we've all done those things and <laughs> I guess it's part of, oh, yeah. uh, of trying to be a better angler. I don't know. I don't know why we did it, but it, it was fun. I've kind of missed some, but I kind of like my own bed too. Yeah. <laughs> Younger, dumber, hungrier. I don't know what it was. Oh, like all I always said, fishermen were a special breed. That's we a, all are. That's a fact. Especially musky fishermen. 
Yeah. Yep. For lot for lots of different reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Todd, do you do, do you ever do any trolling over there in the, like those river systems over by you or not? No, no. You're a you're a, ca- you're a casting only. Yeah, yeah. So, once in a great while, we might do a little bit, but it's not often. Maybe if once a year, that's about it. Although it's like, um, so you're not, but you're not you're not too proud like Brad. You'll actually run a sucker. Brad's like, no, I'm not. I'm too good for that. So, <laughs> no, I, I, I love that. I've never said I'm too good. I just, here's the deal. If I'm going to run a bobber, I'm going to try to catch a walleye so I can bring it home for dinner. <laughs> I, it's not my style. I can't do it. I, I don't know. I'd rather trick them to eat something versus feed them. That's my opinion. That's, that's okay. Right, it, right. It, you're, you're quickly becoming in the minority over there, though, Brad. Like, you realize that Minnesota guys are definitely adapting to live bait. Well, hands down, Jeff. I mean, it, it's amazing to me in the last three, five years, how many people are, are doing the sucker thing. I don't know. It's just, it's not for me. I just can't sit there and stare at a sucker. I'm sorry. It's funny. Well, it, the one thing about you guys is different for compared to us is we can, in a lot of cases, we can run three lines or we can at least dr- in everywhere now, we can at least drag a sucker legally and still cast. So that's okay. Right. So we, you know, we, we have that option to still do both, which, whereas if I had to pick one of the two, I don't think I would be running suckers. I would probably be casting for them. Yeah. That, yeah. Same here. I wouldn't be able to just run that one line with a sucker. I would definitely cast as well. Yeah. I mean, so we get that extra little bit of bonus. We need all the help we can get though, Brad. We've talked about this before. We're just Wisconsin guys, you know? <laughs> yep. Come on. Now. You guys have more to offer over there than we do as far as a uh, number of bodies of water and so on and so forth. So, you know, it, Wisconsin's a neat, neat place. I, I respect everything about it. You know, it's your state fish and you guys just have unbelievable amounts of water to fish. We do, and uh, but I mean, there's certain things, and I think we could probably get into it at a different time, is uh, stocking procedures and things like that that I would like to see, you know, I, I don't want to say better, but maybe the genetics that we use potentially be different. I wish they would try to allow us to, you know, put the Great Lake strain muskies into other bodies of water, maybe landlocked ones, just to see what they would do, or leech lake strain, you know, something like that. I would like to see us experiment a little bit like that. I think sometimes Wisconsin gets up a bad rap, but quite honestly, I love, I love the state. I love fishing here. I think, um, I think it's probably better musky fishing than it's ever been. I think the size limits have helped catch and release has helped, you know, all the different practices that we talk about all the time. I think all that stuff has helped. So, but I, I, it's far from perfect, Brad. I mean, we can, I think we can agree on that, but I think even, you know, Minnesota's kind of shown a few problems with their lack of stocking and certain things. Like we talked about last, last week with Hammernick. I mean, how great Malax was and how, difficult it is now i mean it still holds the potential for a world record but i mean probably a legit world record but anyways we'll talk we could talk about that a different day too but and and how just how far it fell from grace in my opinion on on malax too so i mean it's not like minnesota's not without you know some issues either oh hands down jeff i i would agree with all of what you just said you know unfortunately um if you look at vermilion and you look at malax that takes a ton of pressure off a lot of the smaller bodies of water throughout the state. And with the lack of fish being stocked in Mille Lacs, I mean, it's zero. Vermilion, they're finally starting to put some fish back into the system. But, you know, it takes years to get there, too. So, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a really mind-boggling deal. And, unfortunately, it becomes politics in this state. And as far as Wisconsin, in my opinion, you know, there's been a changing of the guard, if you will. I mean, people are really, truly practicing that catch and release again. There was a, a long period of time where if you caught one, you were taking it to town, you know? So you guys have made some changes, and those changes are being seen. I mean, I think we had Ty Sennett on, what, a month, month and a half ago, something like that. You know, Ty has had an incredible season on the chip. I mean, we're starting to see some 50-inch fish coming out of there. So it's, uh, it's positive in many ways. Yeah, I would certainly agree. You know what? You're talking about changing the guard, Brad. It makes me think of something. So I was talking to a Minnesota angler recently. I was giving him a hard time about sucker fishing. I said, yeah, that's nothing new. We do that over here in Wisconsin for like 55 years. I was talking about tubes, and he's like, yeah, we don't throw throw tubes. I said, yeah, in about 55 years, you guys will. You guys are just a little bit slower, you know. 
And <laughs> but then, then in the same breath, he wanted to ask me about um, Green Bay suggestions, color wise, sizes. I'm like, what are you doing coming over to to Green Bay from Minnesota? So like, I have to ask, why are Minnesota guys coming over to Green Bay to fish? Like, I thought you guys have like the land of like the biggest fish, or are things becoming too difficult over there? Now you need to come over to Green Bay to catch them. What's the story, Brad? Well, I'm still here. I'm not traveling. Um, but, you know, the, the neat thing that Green Bay does offer, and even throughout the rest of Wisconsin, you have earlier season than we do here. So I don't know if it was that or what's pushing them. I mean, well, I think he's coming of, over here like in the next week and a half. Yeah, cool. I, I don't know. I mean, you guys offer some giants over there, that's for sure. And so you think about that. I mean, everybody's looking for that giant, right? And. <laughs> Look at the amount of people that are on Malax the month of October and November. It's amazing. Knowing that it's basically, I think we said this with Hammernick, it's it's a lottery, right? I mean, but you, there's somebody's going to win the lottery there this fall. It's just guaranteed. So, yep. Everybody's searching for that true, true giant, and there's a couple right. special bodies of water, and that's for sure. Green Bay is one of them. I, I would agree. I just found it to be odd that somebody from Minnesota would come over to Green Bay to fish. I would have thought that, I mean, your fishery is plenty good. Heck, I live 45 minutes from, like, the access at Green Bay. Like, if I want to launch in the river, it's only, like, 35 minutes, and I still don't even fish Green Bay because I just, that's just not my, that's not my deal. Big fish are sweet. All the pressure and the, I always, I always say it, big fish equals big drama, and that's the way I feel about a lot of those fisheries. Unfortunately, you're right with that statement. I mean, this, this sport carries a ton of drama and I don't know why, but, uh, you know, this guy doesn't like this guy. This guy's mad at this guy. The sport's too small. And I know we talked about this maybe two episodes ago, three episodes ago. The last thing that we need to do is battle within each other. We can't do that because right. if we're going to battle ourselves, how are we going to get support from our DNRs and, and, uh, the fisheries, that uh that we really care about so staying together and as a team we can definitely battle some of the issues that we see with this whole fish biology side but uh fighting amongst ourselves is not good and hey size is all relative to the person i mean to me a 45 incher might be a giant um to the next guy a giant is 55 so what is it it's all relative right um, be happy right. for people and let them smile at the fish that they catch. And uh, if it's the first fish and it's 32 inches and they, the one guy might be so excited about it, you, you, I mean, you think he won the lottery, right? So I don't know. Like I said, it's all relative. And I think <laughs> we can all look ourselves in the mirror and, and realize that we're guilty of different things that we say or things like that. But we just need to be happy for one another. Agreed. You know, quite yeah, honestly, but I'm just looking for a 40 inch fish. That's all I'm looking for. Does that even seem like that? It doesn't seem like it should be that difficult, but that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's about goals, right? I mean, if you're wanting to catch forties, good, you know, go to the bodies of water that are going to provide that. So I, I think there's nothing wrong with that, Jeff. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, and the, the funny thing is, is a lot of times that 40 to 45 inch fish is going to fight harder than that 51. It's just the way they are. They're programmed to, to battle. You know what I mean? Some of the big fish get kind of lazy and sluggish and all right, take my picture again, you know, <laughs> let me go again. And uh, they swim <laughs> off and eat next year again. So <laughs> think about that. Some of those mid those 40 to 45 inches are crazy. They fight like none other. Yeah, I agree. The other, the other thing too, is like, if you, the difference in like the head size from like a 37 to a 41 is unbelievable. I think, I think it's, I think it's just incredible how much bigger they get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I mean, with, you know, within, like I said, I mean, you're talking relatively size. Once you get from a 41 to a 49, those things have giant heads too, but size difference wise it's like once you get to a 40 40 inch fish it's just a different class all right todd well i appreciate you coming out today to take some time out of your schedule and talk musky fishing with us um for people that are looking to get in touch with you what's the best way to go ahead and do that uh, they can go through my website at muskymoonguideservice.com 
Uh, you can contact me through Facebook. Um, also, give me a call or text message at 715-212-9745. And thank you guys for having me on. And uh, I'm always always about talking about monsters. Yeah, it's always a fun time. I hope that in the near future that Brad and I have more time to do this kind of stuff. It's like like we talked earlier. It's just been, it's a little bit rough sometimes. Yeah. But we always get her done. I know, Todd, I'm looking forward to seeing some more pictures of some suics and some mouths of some muskies. I've seen, uh, I don't know, quite a few of them. Seems like things have been going well. Copper carp has been crushing. And uh, hopefully oh, we'll get you absolutely. that franken suic that you're looking for too in, in the copper carp and see so your your wife can smash a giant yet this fall. Yep, that's that's the goal. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, like I said, we appreciate you coming out. Brad, thanks again for not fishing and getting this one wrapped up for us, and uh, we'll catch you all next week. Sounds really yeah, good. Thank thanks you. a lot, Todd. Yeah, thank you both, and uh, good luck to everybody out there for the remainder, remainder of their season. And uh, tight lines, everybody. Take care. You too, Todd. Thanks. <laughs>